0: If you think it sounds fun to play a character in Baldur's Gate 3 who not only can take out their enemies with both spells and weapon attacks, but better yet, gets to watch their enemies die just for having the gall to hit them, kind of like this, then you are going to love this video. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4 each week we take a deep dive into character builds for our favorite role playing games. I like to crunch numbers and theory craft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a certain character, but to explore one way to build a character in the hopes of creating something that's both powerful but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role playing games almost as much as you enjoy, playing the actual game itself or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something you're thinking about playing then welcome home this is where you belong and I am so glad that you're here. So thank you for watching. My name's Colby. I put out these build videos every Tuesday. And if you like what you see, I would love it if you'd consider liking and subscribing and commenting, but also joining the channel as a member, potentially. There's a little button down there uh, that if you click on, it will tell you about the perks that you can get by being a channel member, like access to the library of write-ups that I create for each of these builds so that you can kind of get a cheat sheet to help you recreate it yourself if you want to, access to our D4 discord server access to our monthly q a members only live chat hangout sessions i've got to give a huge shout out and thank you to all of my channel members you guys i could not do this without you seriously thank you and everybody else i couldn't do this without you either thank you for just being here i truly appreciate it right so for years now i've kind of tried to stick to a couple of rules when making builds for d one don't assume magic items and two don't assume anything about party members, right? Unless I'm making builds for two characters meant to like synergize well together and be played with your friend, like the uh, Mount and Blade, for example. I've tried to stick to these rules primarily because I want the builds that I do for this channel to just work, regardless of who you're playing with or how loose or stingy your DM may be with magic items at your table, et cetera, et cetera. I figure if you can get someone at your table that wants to build synergies into their build to work great with yours, or if your DM lets you kind of choose magic items to augment your build, fantastic. But at least this way, if I don't make assumptions, we can know that the build is going to work regardless of those things. And then if somebody wants to synergize with you or your DM gives you the magic item you want, then that's just gravy, right? No surprise then that as I've been doing builds for Baldur's Gate 3 over the last few months, I've kind of stuck to those rules, generally speaking. Because, yeah, I just wanted the builds to work no matter what, without making you have to worry about hunting down just the right magic item, or like, maybe if you're playing multiplayer and your friends don't want to build the way you tell them to, then again, the builds are just gonna work. But I am Kind of rethinking that strategy for bg3 builds the truth is the vast majority of us are playing this game in single player mode where we have total control over our companions builds and what they do in combat and for another thing the magic items that exist in game Are absolutely a known quantity, and there are thousands of places to look online for lists of available items, which ones are the best, what they do exactly, where to find them, etc. etc. So, the only thing stopping us from getting any particular magic item in game that we desire is kind of just limited by our own desire to look the info up and well, do what's required in-game to get the item, right? Why isn't it possible? It's just not. Why not? And here's the thing. There are so many amazing, crazy, fun, and powerful magic items in this game. Like, so many. And I think more than in D&D 5e, if we're talking official content anyways, there are so many more magic items available that just completely change your entire character's build potentially. And there are so many fun and powerful ways to build a character around a magic item or two or three that just totally rewrite how you build and play your character in a way that, for me at least, provides an almost endless amount of fun and diversity and sheer giggly delight that it feels like a shame to leave those out. Now, sometimes the reason a magic item might completely change your build is because of some additional rules and game mechanics in BG3 that just don't exist in Dungeons & Dragons 5e, sadly, I think. Take for example the wet condition. I've taken advantage of this unique to BG3 condition in a build before, the uh, Tempest Cleric Storm Sorcerer build from my third Baldur's Gate 3 video, but this simple little condition, which gives those affected by it vulnerability to both Cold and Lightning damage. Has the potential to radically alter the power and fun level of not only how you build your character, but the power and fun level of a few magic items in the game. After discovering in my most recent playthrough some items that can help us apply this condition and couple of other conditions as well and a couple of other magic items as well i became obsessed with creating a build for myself and my companions to take advantage of both the items and the conditions and as a result after over 200 hours of play with this game and I appreciate that's not actually very much compared to a lot of you, I'm having more fun playing Baldur's Gate 3 right now than I ever have. And considering how absolutely in love I've been with the game since early access, that's really saying something. Seriously, as much as I love you guys, I am so mad that I'm not playing this game right now instead of recording this video because this build is so freaking fun. If you want to see it in action, stay tuned until the end, and I give kind of a little snippet of uh, some gameplay. Anyways, are you ready to hear about it? I proudly present Baldur's Gate 3, episode number 11, the Cryomancer Gish, the Ball of Ice, the (laughs) Snowplow, the Sub-Zero Hero, Mr. Freeze. (laughs) Ooh, how about always winter as opposed to never winter get it never winter wish you were here there are too many good ones to name thanks to the discord members for all of the uh, suggestions but my favorite of all was submitted by tech nerd the icebreaker but first today's sponsor is deal dot com a lot of you are familiar with deal dash already but for those who aren't deal dash is an auction website that people kind of either love or hate if you've seen their admittedly a little bit annoying ads on TV, <laughs> at any point during the last 15 years, you will know that they have thousands of auctions every day with brand new items where people have won auctions like an iPad for $13.24 or an Xbox for 45 bucks. Okay, sounds great. What's the catch? Well, you've got to pay up front to bid. So for example, after you sign up, they ask you to buy 400 bids for 30 dollars which means that you can bid 400 times in any of their auctions now every auction starts at zero dollars with no minimum reserve price and every time you bid you can at most raise the price by a penny after you bid the auction timer counts down by 10 seconds and if no one bids in the next 10 seconds you win the auction here's an example of me bidding on my desktop earlier trying to win a barnes and noble gift card oh heck yeah I love Barnes and Noble. They're just like right down the street from me. Come on, baby. 20 cents for a $10 gift card. Come on. Three, two, one. (gasps) Oh, somebody, they always at the last second. Dang it. (laughs) I want it. They have all sorts of crazy things to bid on, like this brand new Jeep that someone won for not even $1,900 and this Nintendo Switch bundle for $22. So, let's say you buy 200 bids, you spend them all, it would have cost you roughly 20 bucks for those bids, and you still don't win the auction. Well, you can use their Buy It Now feature and purchase the item at their fixed Buy It Now price, and they will return you the bids back into your Dash account, so you can use them again to bid on more of their auctions. Now, is Deal Dash for everyone? Not really. Some of the auctions can take hours or even days to end, so you need to be able to invest some time for bidding. Also, they don't ship internationally for those of you who don't live in the US or Canada. It's just not going to work. But... If you do like bidding on auctions and you've got some time on your hands, you can get some pretty sweet deals. So, check out deal- Dash at the URL here, deal-.com/d4. That's how they know I sent you. And when you sign up, use my promo code D4 and you'll actually get 100 extra free bids on your first bid pack purchase. And if you don't win an auction using those bids or you don't like it for any reason, contact deal- Dash and they'll refund the money on your first bid pack purchase, no questions asked. So, there's really not much downside here it's totally worth a try go check them out make some bids see if you enjoy it see if you win something you don't really have anything to lose huge thanks to deal dash and let's get back to the build now before I get into the nitty-gritty, let me say that this video is going to go a little bit differently than my usual videos. We're not only building around items, but we're likely going to be respeccing a lot, especially when we get access to some of those items. So this is going to be sort of like two builds in one, and we're going to be a little less structured and a little all over the place. Also, before we even get to level one, I want to kind of explain to you guys the basic concept and mechanics of what we're building around here so that you can understand why I recommend the choices I do, and also, so that you can get creative about tweaking this thing to be your own based on what equipment you may have access to at the time what you want your companions to be doing how you want to play it etc etc the core of the build kind of hinges around three things the wet condition the armor of agatha's spell and the abjuration wizard's arcane ward these are the most important aspects of the build and how we change our build while we level up is going to change based on the magic items we get access to and when we get them got it so First up, we've already talked about the wet condition. It makes you vulnerable to both lightning and cold damage. For those who don't know, when you're vulnerable to a damage type, you take double damage from that damage type. So yes applying the wet condition consistently and reliably will be key to getting the most out of this build next we've got the armor of agathis spell this spell is really great just as it is but with the wet condition from baldur's gate 3 it becomes like god tier spell i think you cast it as an action and it doesn't require concentration but gives you five temporary hit points and returns five Cold damage to an enemy who hits you with a melee attack, so long as you have at least one of those temporary hit points left. It increases by 5 temporary hit points and 5 damage returned for every level you upcast it, meaning that with a 6 level spell slot at endgame, it would give you 30 temporary hit points and return 30 damage. But since that damage is cold damage, of course. If your enemy is wet when they hit you with a melee attack, the damage you return to them is double, and that's incredible. Finally, let's discuss Arcane Ward. Arcane Ward is another one of those, this is great in D&D, but it's amazing in BG3 features. I built around it with the Wizard Tank build back in uh, the BG3 episode 4 that I did a few months ago, but there are major differences between this build and that one, especially at late game. That was built to survive above all this one today is built to do insane damage while also being incredibly tanky to boot anyways arcane ward basically lets us put a magical ward around ourselves that absorbs and reduces incoming damage what makes it so important to this build is that again Armor of Agathis only returns damage so long as we have at least one temporary hit point on us from the spell, right? And if we have one, it's going to return full damage. So, reducing incoming damage before it even touches those temporary hit points really does incredible things for letting those temporary hit points and thus damage stick around through lots and lots of enemy attacks. When you combine these three things together, along with other items and spells that we can get along the way, and some help from your companions it makes for a super potent durable damage dealing powerhouse of a character that is going to have you laughing with delight all the way to the elder brain Here's how I would build it. At level one, for our starting class, I wanna start out as a sorcerer here for a couple of reasons. First off, unique among full casters, they get constitution saving throw proficiency, which is always important for casters, right? So that they can hold on to concentration a little easier, yeah? Also, they get their subclass right at level one. And that means we can take Draconic Bloodline for our subclass, and doing so, most importantly, lets us choose a dragon type for our Draconic Ancestry, and we are taking White Dragon for our Ancestry, because unlike in D&D, that's going to give us an additional spell, among other things. And a White Dragon Ancestry gives us, yeah, Armor of Agathas. the only way to get the spell outside of Warlock levels, as far as I know. And while, sure, we could take a Warlock Dip instead, Warlocks don't get Constitution saving throw proficiency, and maybe more importantly, their spell slots don't play nice with the spell slots of other casters, right? They remain separate and don't bolster spell slot level when mixed with other casters, and spell scaling is paramount to this build, so that we can get Armor of Agathus as high as possible as quickly as possible. Draconic Bloodline Sorcerers also get Draconic Resilience at this level, which raises their armor class to 13 plus our dexterity modifier when we are unarmored. A nice little bump for early levels at least. And it also gives us an extra hit point per sorcerer level, but we're only taking one, so not a big deal. As for our race, none of the races in BG3 are going to give us access to the martial weapons that we're going to want, unfortunately. So, I mean, yeah, you're a draconic bloodline sorcerer. Go dragonborn. White dragon dragonborn with white... Draconic Ancestry, it just looks so cool. Plus, then you get a cold damage AOE breath attack that would come in handy against wet enemies. As for our ability scores, These are actually going to change throughout our character's career, depending on what items and especially weapons we have, but for now at least, let's start with a 16 Charisma to make our sorcerer spells work best, a 16 Constitution for hit points and concentration checks, and a 14 Dexterity to bolster our AC and initiative bonus primarily. As for equipment, uh, we'll get into it as we go, but for spells that we get as a sorcerer one, I would prioritize Shocking Grasp and Ray of Frost for cantrips, so that we can do double damage against wet enemies and have both a ranged and melee option right I'd probably grab chromatic orb here as well since that lets us choose the damage type to again double up and then even though we are often going to want to get hit, shield is good both for those times when our armor of Agathus has run out and we're getting low on health, which will be semi-frequently in the early game at least, but also to potentially use against ranged enemies to bolster our AC and cause them to miss, since ranged enemies are sort of the bane of this build, having the nerve to not take any armor of Agathas damage when they hit us. Jerks. As for what I want from our companions at level 1, I'd say just have a cleric or druid in your party who can be your designated like rainmaker if possible create destroy water is a spell available to druids and clerics only and that's going to let them make a decent sized like cloudburst to make a puddle of water and get creatures in the area wet primed for your icebreaker self of the two classes i would prioritize cleric as a companion so shadowheart is perfect here but I'll discuss why I prefer that over a Druid a little later. At level two, it's time to take wizard levels so that we can get our arcane ward going. Thus, we would be a wizard one, meaning we get arcane recovery, letting us, as a bonus action, once per day, recover spell slots equal to half our wizard level. Super handy to ensure that we've always got spell slots uh, available to keep Armor of Agathus active, especially. As for spells, we get first level wizard spells here. And though there are a lot of great options, I'll just say to probably focus now on controlling spells that we can use for our concentration. There's not really anything to bolster our damage much, tactically, aside from what I've already mentioned. So go ahead and grab, you know, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, for example, to incapacitate an enemy. That's a great one, letting us take out at least one pesky ranged character in a fight. At level three, we would be a wizard two, and that means we get our wizard subclass. And as I've said, we're going to take abjuration here so that we can get the lovely, incredible Arcane Ward. As a review, the way this works in BG very different to Dungeons & Dragons, is that for every abjuration spell you cast, your ward gets like a charge equal to twice the spell's level capping, though, at a maximum charge amount equal to twice your wizard level, so four currently. Thereafter, anytime you take damage, the damage is reduced by the amount of charges that you have on your ward, and then the total charges are reduced by just one. So if you got hit for five damage, a maxed out ward for us would reduce that damage by four, meaning we only took one damage, and then the number of charges on the ward would drop by one since we got hit, to three. That is so freaking good. In D&D, the ward just kind of acts like another layer of temporary hit points. This is way stronger in that the ward charges only go down by one, whether you take one damage or a hundred damage, letting it last a lot longer and thus letting our temporary hit points from Armor of Agathis last a lot longer as well. Now, By this level, you should have made it to the Druid Grove. While there, make sure to buy the Rain Dancer staff from Aaron. That's the little halfling vendor near the entrance. This staff lets you cast, create, or destroy water once per short rest, which is absolutely perfect for us, letting our cleric or Druid friend save their spell slots and use their action for something a little more useful, like bless or to buff or heal our allies, right? Or even throw out a cold or lightning-based spell of their own if they've got one. Speaking of, yes, let's talk about that companion. I'd recommend going Cleric for a couple of reasons. In addition to getting access to create water, Clerics can go with the Tempest subclass, first of all, which will be perfect for letting them also take advantage of wet enemies for big burst damage, thanks to their spell list and their Wrath of the Storm feature, which does max damage on thunder or lightning spells, and max damage lightning against a wet enemy is a whole lot of damage, right? But maybe more importantly for our Icebreaker selves, Clerics get access to an incredibly important spell. Spell for us here, Warding Bond. Yes, there are a couple of items that let you cast this spell as well, but the first ones, uh, the pair of rings, aren't available until Act 2, and the other item, the legendary shield, you won't get until Act 3, probably late Act 3. Clerics are the only class that get this spell, except Lorebards, I suppose, and it is so incredible. You cast it on an ally, in this case, uh, it would be our cleric casting it on our Icebreaker, right? And it increases the Icebreaker here's armor class by 1 and then gives them resistance to all damage. It doesn't require concentration, and it lasts all day. Nuts. Now, any damage that the receiving character takes is also taken by the cleric who cast it, but here's the thing. The way this all works together in Baldur's Gate is much different than in D&D. In D&D, if you have both resistance to damage, like we would via this spell, and something that reduces the damage taken, like an arcane ward, for example, then you first apply the flat damage reduction from arcane ward, and then the damage resistance. So for For example, if you have Arcane Ward reducing the damage you take by 10, as well as Warding Bond on you, and you got hit for 20 damage, you would first reduce that by 10 from your ward off the top and then cut what's left in half, meaning you and your ally who warded you would each take 5 damage. In Baldur's Gate 3, however, these developers, they love us so much. They apply the damage resistance first and then the damage reduction. And this makes all the difference in the world because in that same 20 damage scenario with an arcane ward charge of 10, you'd reduce it to 10 from resistance first, right? And then the 10 damage remaining would get absorbed by your arcane ward, meaning that neither you nor your ally who cast it on you took any damage at all from that 20 damage hit. Not only is that great for our survivability, it's also fantastic for the duration of our armor of Agathon since we wouldn't have lost a single temporary hit point from the attack, though we would have returned a boatload of damage for getting hit especially if the enemy were wet, right? One other thing I'll mention. You probably want to consider respecing your character at this point to have a higher intelligence than charisma. We're going to be hanging out in wizard for quite some time since the more wizard levels we have, the higher we'll be able to get our arcane ward damage absorption up to, right? So yeah, you're going to be getting a lot more wizard spells than sorcerer ones, meaning you're going to want higher intelligence to make those wizard spells work better, right? Of course, you could always grab the headband of intellect from uh, that smart ogre fairly early in act one, in which case you could have your cake and eat it too. At level four, we would be a wizard three, and that means we get second level wizard spells. Again, at these levels, I think we're mostly just putting up Armor of Agathis, getting our enemies wet, and then using cantrips for damage, and frankly, it works really well. So go ahead and take some concentration spells like Cloud of Daggers if you need some persistent AoE damage, or web or hold person for control. Just be a wizardy wizard who causes their foes to die just from hitting them. I think it's important to note here too, concentrating on a spell is important. The Enemy AI seems to really prioritize who to attack based not only on their armor class, but on sort of their threat level, right? And if you're concentrating on a spell, they seem to be really anxious to try and break that concentration. At level 5, we would be a Wizard 4, and that means we get a Feat. And this is a bit of a tough decision for me, honestly. There aren't a ton of enemies who are resistant to cold damage in Baldur's Gate 3, but they do exist. And having to fight them on this build is really. Really sad. We could take Elemental Adept here then for our feet and bypass that resistance, which makes us happy. Now, it doesn't do much for enemies that are immune to cold damage, but there aren't a ton of those in the game, and so I think it's worth considering this feat. Alternatively, we could bump our intelligence here to make our spells better if we got the plus one ability score bump from the hag, right? We could respec here, give ourselves a 17 intelligence plus one there, and then use this feat to cap our intelligence at 20. Not bad. Not bad at all. That said, Keep in mind that our most important damage spell, Armor of Agathus, doesn't allow for a saving throw. Meaning you don't actually have to have a very high intelligence for this build to do a really great job at dealing damage. But if you want to do other wizardly things as effectively as possible, and the headband of intellect just isn't cutting it for you, then sure, cap that intelligence here and be a little sadder when you fight enemies who are resistant to cold damage. Speaking of, let me say that around this time you could potentially find yourself in the Underdark in Act One, and if so, you you can piece together the Morning Frost staff. I'm not gonna go into detail on how. It's a little complicated. You've got to find three pieces of them and put them together. Look it up. There's There's gotta be a YouTube video out there somewhere that explains it, right? This staff is really nice for us. It's a plus one staff that does extra cold damage on a hit, causes us to do an extra one cold damage when we deal cold damage, not huge, but a little bump, and that'd be two against wet targets, right? And then gives us a chance to apply the chilled condition to our enemy whenever we deal cold damage to them. Chilled is nice, but they do get to make a constitution save against it with a DC of only 12. So it's no guarantee that it'll work by any means, but still getting them chilled is great because just like wet, it makes enemies vulnerable to cold damage. And it does even more than that, potentially, but we'll discuss that later. Now, should you give up your free create water staff for this staff of mourning? Probably, especially if you've got a dedicated rainmaker in your party, but yeah, you could always get the dual wielder feat and dual wield them if you really wanted. What's more, thanks to the little cold damage bumps you get here on a hit, you might, just might, want to consider becoming a little gishy now, respecking to get your strength higher, maybe even taking the plus one from the hag and putting it in strength so that you could hit, reliably with the staff, and against wet enemies, you're going to be doing a decent amount of extra damage both with your spells and your attacks. I wouldn't call it a no-brainer. We don't have extra attack or anything, and I don't think it's worth totally changing the build to get to extra attack yet, but something to consider, especially if you've got the Headband of Intellect. At level six, we would be a wizard five, and that means we get third level wizard spells. And there are so many great ones, right? Counterspell to stop enemy spellcasters, another, by the way, potential burr in the saddle of this build, no question. Lightning Bolt might be my go-to AOE damage dealer for third level spells on this build, since again, wet enemies take double damage from it, but Slow and Fear are both fantastic for control. And then of course, there's Haste. I think that Haste is best used on your best weapon damage dealers, personally. But I mean, Shock and Grasp is going to do, what, 4d8 against a wet enemy now? More if you get, like, that one ring that lets you add your spellcasting modifier to cantrip damage, right? Or you have the Staff of Mourning. Plus, it could potentially let you reapply Armor of Agathys and then, like, cast a different spell on your turn still, for example. Paradoxically, it raises your armor class by two, and I actually don't really want that on this character. You want to make yourself easy to hit both to encourage enemies to attack you and also to return the damage to him right so yeah I'm a little torn here strongly consider putting it on like a killer bard or holy warrior if you've got one in your party right one other spell that I'll mention here though glyph of warding I haven't really talked about this spell all that much but it is a nice option for us especially because it's an abjuration spell meaning it can stack our ward right it's way different in BG3 than in D&D so for the uninitiated it's a pretty simple spell you put the glyph on the ground it covers like a four meter radius and when an enemy steps on it it triggers doing 5d8 damage in that 4 meter area of effect. And if you put it right under an enemy, it just triggers immediately. And you get to choose the damage type. Including, yes, cold and lightning. So, if you've got enemies wet, you can put this down to do 10d8 damage in a pretty nice little area here. Now, that's not quite as much as lightning bolts, uh, well 16d6, of course, against a wet enemy, right? But the glyph will add stacks to your arcane ward, and has a small circle AoE instead of, like, a line, like lightning bolt. So, it gives you options, depending on where your enemies or standing you can use one or the other at level seven we would be a wizard six and as an abjuration wizard that means we get projected ward and I love this ability it basically lets you use your reaction to give the benefits of your ward to an ally for a single attack that they took right now it's not gonna return damage right it's just a fun protection and support based ability that feels really cool to use to keep your friends safe even if it does reduce your wards stacks by one at level eight we would be a wizard seven and that's awesome because it means we get fire shield mm. fire shield can be cast as either a warm shield or a chill shield we would take chill of course meaning that for 10 rounds unlike all day with armor of agathos, right so long as we've got at least one temporary hit point from armor of agathos, when we get hit by an enemy with a melee attack again we'd return 2d8 cold damage every time but of course if they're wet it's 4d8 damage No saving throw, no nothing, just like AOA, but without needing to hold on to the temporary hit points. Now, it does return a lot less damage on average than Armor of Agathys would if cast at the same level. Armor of Agathys would be 20 flat damage as a fourth level spell, doubled to 40. This would be 18 on average against a wet target. So if you have to choose choose armor of Agathus, of course, but it's fun to have even more damage to pile on when enemies hit you now, if you need it. And Chill Shield comes with the added bonus of not requiring concentration and also giving us resistance to fire damage, which I guess we wouldn't really need if we've got Warding Bond on us, but anyways, maybe your Warding Bond ally got yeeted off a cliff like Orin did to Shadowheart when I was playing this game uh, in this last playthrough recently. (laughs) But at level 9, we're going to shift gears drastically And it's really where the build gets awesome around this level maybe earlier for some of you later for others you're gonna get to act three and yeah this is where the build completely changes mostly because of two very lovely very beautiful weapons which we are going to want to dual wield while still being a full caster so that we can continue to get our armor of agathis up as high as possible so if we're making weapon attacks and we want to be a full caster mixed with other caster classes we've basically got two options if we're trying to optimize, right? Swords Bard or Valor Bard? Yes, yes, I know. Pact of the Blade warlocks can get extra attack, but like I've said, the problem with warlocks is that their spell slots don't play nice with other spellcaster spell slots, right? So if we respect here to warlock five and like wizard four, we'd only have third level warlock spell slots and second level wizard ones, whereas bard six, sorcerer one, wizard two here would give us fifth level spell slots, and that's just so much better for what we're trying to do. Feel free to go warlock if you want, but I think bard is the better choice. The only question is, do we go valor bard or swords bard? We'll get to that in a sec. For now, I would respect to this. Sorcerer one first for that constitution saving throw proficiency again, then go wizard two, as we've already discussed, but then I would change up your ability scores to be 16 strength, unless you have a lot of elixirs to grant you giant strength, or the strength gloves from House of Hope, right? A 16 constitution, unless you have the constitution amulet from House of Hope, and probably a 14 dexterity. I hope you held on to that headband of intellect. (laughs) If and when you do get those stat buffing gloves and amulets, feel free to dump strength and con, and bump your charisma and or intelligence, but I'm a little less worried about those spellcasting stats now, because at this point in the build, once we've got our weapons, we kinda go into just full gish mode. So, then, let's go over what what the sixth bard levels that we would be respecking into here look like. At bard one, we get bardic inspiration, which lets us use a bonus action to give an ally an extra d6 to add to an ability check, saving throw, or attack roll of their choice. Really too bad we can't put that on ourselves, but that's okay. And then we get bard spells, right? And I'm just going to kind of say... Pick your favorites here, PYF. Nothing that we would be relying on in combat necessarily, though, sure, having Healing Word is always a good idea on any character, of course. At Bard 2, we get Jack of All Trades, uh, giving us some nice utility in that it adds half of our proficiency bonus to any ability check we make where we're not already proficient, and then Song of Rest, which in this game basically just gives us one more short rest per day. Always handy. At Bard 3, we get Expertise, letting us double our proficiency bonus for two skills that we're proficient in, and again, like, pick your favorites here. I'd probably go Perception and whatever else you want. Sleight of hand, if you have proficiency in sleight of hand here, would make us a pretty great lock picker so that you didn't have to bring along a starian all the time. <laughs> Hey, I love asterion He's so condescending. I don't need that energy in my life. No thank you, Trampy Vamp. We also get second level bard spells here. Again, like pick your favorites. We've kind of talked about looking for things like Cloud of Daggers and Hold Person, etc., for our concentration, though don't forget that Unless you've got items to let you do otherwise, we probably have a fairly low charisma score here, which is what bards need for their spells, right? Meaning enemies are pretty likely to succeed on their saving throws against us. So Cloud of Daggers here is nice in that it doesn't allow for a save, it just does damage automatically, but maybe grab Lesser Restoration. It's a good cure-all to have in a pinch, and best of all, it's an abjuration spell. Hooray for Arcane Ward stacks. But then we get here our bard subclass, and this is a tough tough decision. Both valor and swords give extra attack at level six, which we are really going to want as I'll get into. But swords bards are going to do more damage and have more fun thanks to the two weapon fighting style that you can get with them and their flourishes, which let you add your inspiration die to the damage of an attack and then either push a target or increase your armor class. Don't do it. Or attack two enemies uh, standing next to each other with a single attack, in melee anyways. And doing that, by the way, is going to add conditions if your weapon adds conditions, so that's actually really nice. Swordsbard is absolutely the route that I would rather go, that said. Valor Bard gives us Martial Weapon Proficiency and that is really important for us because early on in Act 3, hopefully, we're going to find those two weapons that I talked about and they are both Martial Weapons and we don't currently have proficiency with them. Now, you could instead use one of your feats to get the Weapon Master feat and get Martial Weapon Proficiency that way. You could also take a single level in the right Cleric subclass to get Martial Weapon Proficiency, which is what I would do over like Fighter or Barbarian or anything because we want a full caster, right? So as to not lose our Spell slot. Progression. And I mean, Cleric wouldn't be bad. We could go Tempest ourselves and get that awesome Wrath of the Storm. But no, don't do it. We need wizard levels to get our arcane ward as buff as possible no distractions. We've already got too many distractions. Besides, we're not taking a lot of high damage lightning spells on this build anyways. Let Shadowheart be a Tempest Cleric. I'm going to say then go Valor Bard here for now, until we maybe have the gear and the feats to grab the Weapon Master feat instead later on, and at that point we could switch to swords. I'll talk about it when we get there. So yes, as a Valor Bard, here we just get proficiency in medium armor, shields, and martial weapons. The weapon thing for sure is absolutely necessary. The armor and the shield. I'm a little less enthused about. You're going to have to find the right kind of sweet spot for your armor class, and it's not going to be easy. The truth is, against melee enemies, you really just want to get hit as often as possible, unless your armor of Agathis is out, of course, and you don't have spell slot to recast it, and or you're near death. But then you've got those annoying ranged enemies that just keep shooting you with arrows and draining your arcane ward charges. Stupid bow users! If you can find some light or medium armor that gives some great benefits to the build, go for it. Otherwise, I'd probably still just be looking for robes that increase our spell hit chance in DC, things like that. As for a shield, that is right out. We will be dual wielding, but there is one shield in the game, the Absolute's Protector that you get off Zarel in the Moonrise Towers at the end of Act 2, and that gives you a free casting of Chill Shield once per day. And... You can cast it on yourself and then doff the shield. And when you do that, the spell doesn't actually go away. So I would grab that and maybe use it to buff yourself before combat once in a while to save yourself a spell slot for sure. Speaking of... (laughs) I told you guys that we were going to be all over the place here. Stay with me. This is as good a time as any to remind everyone of this important fact. One great thing about wizards in this game is that they can learn wizard spells from a scroll even if they aren't a high enough wizard to otherwise learn the spell. They just need to have the right spell slot for the spell in order to learn it, right? So... When we're done respecking here at level nine we will be a full caster with fifth level spell slots and so even though we will only have two levels of wizard right now we can still find a scroll of fire shield there's one in sorceress sundries i know i'm sure there are others as well and learn the spell from the scroll and still be able to cast it even though we're not a wizard seven right one last thing about valor bards At level 3, they get combat inspiration, which just lets those that you've inspired use their inspiration die to also, if they choose, bolster their weapon damage or their armor class, but only on one attack, so it's a little meh to me. I'd still mostly save it for a saving throw or an attack roll most of the time okay at bard four we get a feat and yeah with this feat we are going to be taking dual wielder here and we've got to have it because in addition to raising our armor class by one when we dual wield which I actually for once kind of don't want on this build it's the only way that we can dual wield weapons that don't have the light property and so yes let's discuss those weapons finally that I've been talking about all this time. The first one is the easiest to get, the Flail of Ages. You buy it from Fitz the Firecracker, that uh, dwarf weapon vendor in the middle of town who's like Carlac's friend, right? This weapon is so awesome. It's a plus one flail that comes with Tenacity, letting you deal your strength modifier in damage when you miss with an attack. And by the way, this even works if you miss with the weapon that you've got in your other hand, which is awesome. But more importantly, It comes with a unique spell called Elemental Age. When we cast this spell, it further increases the flail by plus one, making it basically a plus two weapon now. And then we decide on an element to enhance our flail with acid, cold, or fire. We're going cold, of course. The enhancement to our weapon lasts all day, and not only does it cause our flail to do an extra d4 of cold damage on a hit, and that's 2d4 if they're vulnerable, right? But it also potentially chills the enemy, like the aforementioned Staff of Mourning. That's awesome, but the main reason it's awesome is because of the other weapon that we will be dual wielding now when we get it, the trident of the waves. This weapon is a little tougher to get to, but not too bad. It's in the bottom of the counting house, uh, the big bank, right? One of the high security vaults, vault number four. And those vaults do have a DC 30 uh, to lockpick, but that's not that difficult, honestly. If you've got someone with expertise in sleight of hand and a high dexterity score, I mean, throw guidance on them, etc., and you should be good. You might have to burn through a few thieves tools if you're unlucky on your rolls but hopefully you've got plenty anyways this trident is a plus one weapon that does an extra d4 of yep cold damage on a hit the best part about it though is that on a hit and unfortunately this only works on a melee hit not if it's a thrown hit trust me i tried but on a hit it creates a little pool of water on the target and makes them wet and oh how fun things get now because you see if an enemy is chilled and then you make them wet and it's important to go in that order frustratingly it doesn't work if you make them wet first then chilled for some reason but if you chill them and then get them wet then they get a brand new condition frozen it lasts for one round and not only does it incapacitate them which is great but it also makes them vulnerable to thunder force and bludgeoning damage and guess what does bludgeoning damage that's right our Flail of the Ages. So, once we've got extra attack, this is how combat is going to look for us. Before combat begins, make sure that you've got Armor of Agathos on yourself at max level, and then if you know a fight is coming, put yourself in turn-based mode, cast Chill Shield on yourself, and then initiate the conversation or the fight. On your first turn, you run up to your enemy and hit them with your Flail to potentially chill them. You then hit them with your offhand Trident of the Waves before making your second Flail attack, right? you use your bonus action. This is going to freeze them if they're chilled. You then make your second attack with your flail doing double the bludgeoning damage. And this, by the way, includes your strength modifier. And it's just so much fun when you can chill, then freeze, then shatter them all in the same round for massive damage. And then of course, if they're still alive, they get to deal with taking a bunch of damage for attacking you on their turn. And it's all just so incredibly glorious. It's just ice and water and death For all of your foes. You attack them, they die. They attack you, they die. (laughs) It doesn't seem fair, but it's beautiful. Anyways, we still haven't finished our respec yet. At bard five, we get one more use of bardic inspiration, so four instead of three, which is great, but then it also increases to a d8, and then we get font of inspiration, which gives us our inspirations back on a short rest instead of a long rest, and that is perfect. And then we get third level spells, I'd say pick your favorites here, but don't forget that bards can get Glyph of Warding, too, which uh, we've already talked about, right? At bard 6, then, we get Counter Charm, which is pretty meh, even though it is a lot better than in D&D. In BG3, it just gives you and your allies within 30 feet advantage against being charmed or frightened for a round, but it takes your action to use, so, I don't know, situationally useful at best. But most importantly, yes, we finally get extra attack here as well as a Valor Bard, so we can pull off that chill freeze shatter combo that's just so fun now you might think that six levels in bard is sacrificing too much extra attack is great that combo is a lot of fun but is it really worth giving up 12 stacks of our arcane ward to get it i think it is but i wouldn't fault you in the slightest for deciding that you'd rather keep levels in wizard maybe still dual wield these two weapons just so that you can like chill one and freeze them and then have an ally blow them up with a big thunder or force damage spell or a bludgeoning damage attack, right? Letting you focus on keeping your ward as high as possible so you can continue to return loads of damage to vulnerable enemies. I love playing Gishes. I love being weapon-using spellcasters. And for me, going the bard route just satisfies that itch in a way that nothing else I've seen in this game can do. But by all means, feel free to, sure, like grab maybe just a couple levels in Tempest Cleric instead. Ignore bard completely, and then still taking that one level of sorcerer, but then the rest wizard to be a little bit more spell than sword in your spell sword. And it would work great still. It really would. The main thing you'd be missing out on is that shatter combo. So anyways, that's what I would respect to at level nine. Afterwards, from levels 10 to 12, go back to wizard to get up to wizard five, as we've already discussed, to get that arcane ward up to at least 10 stacks once you hit end game, you know, level 12. One change, though. At Wizard 4, which would be character level 11, instead of taking a bump to our Intelligence there, or even Elemental Adept, sadly, assuming that we either have the Gauntlets of Giant Strength from House of Hope, or you have enough Giant Strength elixirs, like I said earlier, I'd take the Weapon Master feat instead of bumping an ability score here. I don't think I've ever recommended taking Weapon Master on any build in my life, D&D or Baldur's Gate three but this feat would let you get proficiency in both the trident and the flail and that means we could respect a swords bard here instead of valor thanks to not just the two weapon fighting style which is nice but more importantly slashing flourish so that i can regularly hit two enemies with chilled if they're standing next to each other or maybe with wet if you put the trident in your main hand instead of the off hand so yeah i just feel like swords bard is way better for the build if we can otherwise get weapon proficiencies as we've talked about You could take a Cleric Dip to get those instead, but while that wouldn't slow down our spell slot progression, it would hamper our Arcane Ward, and it's already not nearly as big as I would like it to be, honestly. One level in Cleric would mean an Arcane Ward with 8 max stacks instead of 10, and that might not seem like a big deal, but when you've got Warding Bond on you to essentially double the Ward's effectiveness, and you really want to hold on to your temporary hit points from Armor of agathas for as long as possible, even two little stacks can be a difference maker and i mean think about it if we can get those gauntlets of giant strength or drink an elixir of giant strength and especially if we can get the amulet of health as well that's two stats that we can just dump leaving us with a lot of points to put into charisma intelligence even dexterity or wisdom if we wanted and while sure it would be nice to have an 18 or 20 in our spellcasting stat especially in the late game this character cares a lot more about their weapon attacks than their spell to hit or DC, right? Armor of agathus and Chill Shield don't allow for saves. And those are the two spells that we care about most. So using that last feat for Weapon Master instead of like bumping our Intelligence or Charisma doesn't feel all that bad to me for this build. Anyways, just for fun, let's do a little damage report, shall we? <laughs> At end endgame here, assuming that you've got Armor of agathus cast at the sixth level and Chill Shield active as well, and that a melee enemy is either wet or chilled, we would return 78 damage to them every time they hit us on average. Multi-attack enemies are going to just melt. Uh, freeze. Anyways, on top of that, on our turn, assuming that we've got a 23 strength from gauntlets, and these two weapons. Nothing else, I'm not assuming any other magic items. Our first flail attack would do 1d8 plus 2d4 plus eight. Our trident attack would do 1d8 plus 2d4 plus seven. And our second flail attack against a frozen enemy here would do 2d8 plus 1d4 plus 16. Add that all together, and if we're fighting a melee enemy that hits us just once per round, we would do 139 damage to them on average and that's totally, completely sustainable. We're level 12. They probably have multi-attack, right? So that's over 200 damage on average. And also, we are returning that 78 damage to every single melee enemy that attacks us. And if you want to see what that looks like in-game, I record a little snippet just to show you. The audio quality sucks. I apologize. I didn't have my good mic going, but hopefully you'll enjoy seeing it in play as much as I enjoyed playing it. witnessed assaulting. any day. She took a little damage from that explosion back home. Oh, yeah, because I took 24 players. <laughs> Do you? what? I just can't have a first weapon at all. Huh. Oh, now okay, okay, this is going to be a good thing. Uh-oh. Last attack. A blow to the damper. You can get through. So, yes, so much fun, and be careful when fighting those uh, steel watch guys um, (laughs) that you don't get immobilized before uh, they go into self-destruct mode. Anyways, let's wrap it all up with some final thoughts here. I mean, yeah, I love not only how powerful this build feels how versatile it is as well i never even really talked about what we should be concentrating on in combat throughout this build right a couple of suggestions sure but but that's kind of incredible we don't need our concentration for damage that means we can potentially really be freed up to be a super wizardy gish here or sure put haste on yourself for more weapon attacks and vulnerability inflictions or best of all i think get yourself the 5e spells mod for the game and use One of my favorite spells in D&D that didn't make the official BG3 cut, sadly, Spirit Shroud. This spell lets you add, if you cast it at the fifth level, 2d8 cold damage if we choose to every single weapon attack, which would be 4d8 for us, right? That's 12d8 on three attacks. Now, yes, there are absolutely some drawbacks to this build. Some cons. We hate ranged enemies, and there are plenty of ranged enemies in Baldur's Gate. That said, they're not gonna, like, ruin the build or anything. They just don't take damage from hitting us, which annoys me. Our survivability is just as good as it ever was, whether they're ranged or melee. Definitely though, focus fire ranged enemies, and spellcasters of course as well. And then yes, another potential con, cold resistant and especially cold immune enemies. Those are just going to make us cry. I'm playing this build in honor mode right now, and so far it's going fine, but I'm sure there are going to be some fights that I'm going to run into that will make me wish that I'd respect first, right? So don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Make sure that you're companions can do more than just cold and lightning damage, yeah? There's no such thing as a perfect build that has no weaknesses ever in any fight. Yeah, except maybe the Killer Bard. That thing's OP. So bringing some weaknesses with me on this character with this build, it doesn't make me feel too bad. But the pros? Man, the pros on this build. First and foremost, it is just so delightfully, wickedly awesome to play in-game, especially once you get to Act 3. And it really is a powerhouse, incredibly durable, lots of versatility, and it just hits like a truck. Or, yeah, a snowplow. (laughs) So... I hope that you enjoyed the build and that you get to try it out for yourself and see how fun it is in game and let me know in the comments what you think i missed right what items did i not talk about that are really gonna enhance this build Uh, other than a tempest cleric how would you build your other companions here to take advantage of the mechanics that we're going for please let me know in the comments but otherwise thanks for watching i love you guys i really do and i hope that you have a fantastic day and a great week and if you don't I hope that you'll hang in there. I hope that you will be kind and do good and that I see you again very soon. But until then, take care. Bye. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a hawk both daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I glow. To the extreme <laughs> Why does he glow? Is it because he's so pale? It must be. To the extreme I walk around. <laughs> I <can't do> it. <laughs> Oh, mm. here we go. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up the stage, I wax a chomp like a candle. Dance! <laughs> oh, Tell me that you're a white kid who grew up in the 80s without telling me that you're a white kid who grew up in the 80s. <clears throat> you know all the words to uh, Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby, that's how. It felt like an appropriate song for the build today. I'm not ashamed. Okay, I'm, I'm a little ashamed. But I'm working on letting go of that shame. <laughs> oh. oh, as soon as I fix that Tiamat poster that just looks a little crooked. I just want to be Scottish. Okay, I have got to get some WD-40 for this trick. I think that did the trick. I hope. Oh, but this light is off. Here we go. Mike is being saggy today. It's saggy Mike. <clears throat> Stay. But there are major differences. Ooh. Wow, how long has that been? Down at my navel. Come on, Mike. Cut it out, jerks. Mute. You forgot to put your phone in airplane mode. Fool of a took. (laughs) I think after three years I would know my own open.